All right, guys, here we go. Nordeast podcast. The 2020 Nordies are here. We are going to break down everything you guys need to know and all the best parts of our podcast and what's been on the screen in 2020. Here we go. Nordeast podcast. And here we go, guys. It is our fourth annual Nordies podcast, Nordy Awards, uh, the best of 2020. Here we go. This is one of our biggest episodes, um, and we're going to dive into it right away. But before we do, uh, we're going to ask you guys to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Nordies Podcast. Also, subscribe on uh, anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. Get the Nordies Podcast directly to your phone or your device each and every week. Um, also, Go back and listen to our first two amazing podcasts this week. We have a great sports cast where we lay to rest the Minnesota Vikings. We talk about the great start that the Minnesota Timberwolves got off to. And uh, also go back and listen to our screencast where we break down Wonder Woman 1984. And uh, we also um, recast uh, X-Files. If it were to come back, who would we want to play? Scully and Mulder, one of the most famous duos of the 1990s. So go back, check those two episodes out. What are you guys drinking today, guys, for the special Nordy edition of, uh, of the Nordy's podcast? Okay. I am drinking something boring, um, although it's very good. I'm just drinking some uh, Bent Paddle, Golden Hop. I didn't want to drink one of the contestants and sway my, my opinion. Um, and plus, this is what I had in my fridge, and it's just an awesome beer. The golden oh, IPA, the Ben Hop, yeah, yep, so good. That's one of my first like favorite like intense IPAs that I ever had. Yep, it's been around forever, and it's still so good. Yeah, um, I'm still uh, since I you know I, I wasn't entirely sure how many podcasts we we're doing. I'm still at Invictus. I'm drinking the uh, listening through Static uh, Hazy IPA. They are not on the list, so I am not swaying any decisions whatsoever. There you go. You guys might know where my loyalties lie because I am drinking Satsuma from uh, Fair State, our friends over at Fair State, which is uh, a kettle sour with lactose, vanilla, mandarin, oranges, and tangerines, what OJ wishes it could be. Incredible. That's very true. I am swayed. I'm swayed as well. (laughs) But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, guys. So here we go. Movie of the year. We're going to start out with a bang. Here we go. Nordy's underway. Um, some past winners include um, Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Avengers Endgame. I think they won both the last two. Um, yeah, I believe so. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it was that yeah. Black Panther that won. But for sure, Endgame won last year. Um, this year... Um, here are your nominees, guys. Borat, subsequent movie film. It came out directly to um, Amazon Prime. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, right before the election uh, at the end of October, I believe. Um, we have The Five Bloods, uh, straight to Netflix, uh, Netflix original um, with Chadwick Boseman, right? He was in that, mm-hmm. RIP. Palm Springs. Uh, this was Amazon? Hulu. Hulu. No, Hulu. Yeah, Hulu. Um, Andy Samberg. 
Andy Samberg on Hulu. Um, it's wild that we're three for three. I know it's a pandemic year, but three for three on movies directly to streaming services. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which we put on before it even came out. We kind of regret that now. <laughs> yeah, go listen to our screencast if you want our full thoughts on the movie. Uh, Tenet, uh, which came out at the end of the summer after being delayed for months. And then 1917, which um, technically was released in 2019, but we made an exception because it wasn't put into theaters. No one could watch the movie unless you were a VIP until the middle of January 2020. So, Well, and then we also got to think about like the, uh, the Nordy Award fiscal year, which a lot of times happens in like mid-December. So anything that's released after mid-December, we may not necessarily include in the Nordy Award. So then it carries over into the next year. So yep. 1917 fell into that. So don't question us. Yeah. Don't ask. Don't don't come at us with that crap. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um, Jim, where do you want to start with this? Well, um, I, you know, I think we can eliminate Wonder Woman right now. Um, let's just do that. I don't think it's Agreed. a deserved movie of the year. Um, a lot of hype and, you know, you can get her here, our full thoughts. Um, I thought that it, while I was watching Tenet, I was thinking this is probably going to be our movie of the year. You know, we didn't get a ton of big blockbusters. You know, these our our movies were not film snobs, right? So like we might be TV snobs. We're popular movie buffs. Um, and we didn't get a lot of big releases. Black Widow might have won this thing. We will never know. You know, we didn't see it. So um, for me, I think that the movie I would pick is, is 1917. I think it's brilliant. It's an actual good movie. And it's incredibly entertaining. It's poignant. It's groundbreaking and innovative. And it's how it's shot. Um, for me, that is my vote. But I can be swayed, boys. What do you think? So I'll go, I'm coming on the heels of you. Um, For me, my top three uh, for this year of the list that we have is 1917, Tenet, and then Palm Springs. And I loved Palm Springs. Loved it. Those are my top three as well. I thought it was, I thought it was a great film. I don't think it deserves movie of the year, but is it the most rewatchable movie of 2020? It might be like, I, I think it's that good. Um, Tenet, I think was a fantastic movie, but a little too complex. Like I, like if for a movie that you need to watch probably three times to get all of the mechanics and where everybody is and the timelines, um, a little bit difficult. 1917 was like an epic movie that just, it kicked you off in the first two minutes of the film and didn't really let up until the end. And that's what I want to see in a film. Um, I thought the pacing was great. The, the action set pieces were unbelievable. I mean, we, we've talked about it. Like they rehearsed this stuff for like six months um, in order to get the shots just right. Uh, 1917 is, again, in a down year, I think probably the best movie. All right. So I love the comedies of Palm Springs and Borat's subsequent movie film. Um, but let's be serious. They're just not um, good enough movies to be our movie of the year. Okay. Um, I really think this comes down to 1917 and Tenet, like you guys said. Um, They're probably the best-looking movies of the year, Um, the best-directed. And Tenet, uh, my only worry about Tenet is that I think Tenet might have been more cool than good. Yeah. Um, That's that's totally fair. It was very fucking cool. 
which is great. It was so cool. I think it might have been more cool than good. I'm not saying it was bad. I really enjoyed it. It's up for one of the movies of the year. But I think the pick is definitely, like you guys said, 1917. Is that it? 1917 has got to be the movie of the year. Consensus. Wow, I love it. It was great. I I, I literally just watched it uh, right before we did the awards. So recency bias might be there, but... It nothing else that I saw this year com- compares to 1917. It was incredible. Um, what a task they took on in making this movie easily, in my opinion, the movie of the year. And then, yeah. as a as a history teacher, it probably ha- holds some sort of like solemn value, you know, to you, just sort of depicting things that really happen. I love this new style of war movie. That's like the opposite of Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Where it's How so. Where like they were like the horrors of war. Look at this teen boy's guts spill out of his chest, and we'll tell him it's okay. All for mm-hmm. one, you know. Like that's why people were so into making that movie. That like we want to show people the horrors of war, and it's like they're kind of able to do that now. But like they're able to do it on a, like an individual level, like a psychological level. It's like a it's like a horror movie where you never see the monster, you know. Mm-hmm. And, so much to like fearing the unknown is so is to me is scarier than fearing the monster that you see the entire time and so i think this along with dunkirk have really changed um what more war movies can be uh and it's gone from a genre that i had no interest in seeing to something that's like must watch and so yeah. I, this was brilliant and it was very similar to dunkirk but dunkirk was also brilliant so um, I loved it. I thought they did an incredible job. I think this is an easy pick. Okay. I love it. Let's keep moving. We'll move on to Network of the Year. Wow. We are starting off with a bang here on the 2020 Nordies. Um, our, our nominees are HBO Max, Netflix, Amazon Prime, FX, Disney Plus, and Hulu. Okay. I think we could narrow it down pretty quickly. Can you guys can you guys just bear with me here? Yeah. Let's let's narrow it right down. HBO, Disney Plus, and Netflix need to be our top three, right? Yes. Okay. Um, well, from there, I mean, I can I, I've seen a lot of shows on all of them. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, Disney Plus had their first full year. Uh, they delivered such shows as Mandalorian. Season. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Season two. Yep, that's yeah. the end of the list. Um, so, I mean, everybody subscribed to Disney+. Plus. They had a great financial year. I'm not sure. I think the content... Like, I can't wait to see what they do next year in, two, in 2021 and if they have a chance to, to win this thing. I think oh, we... They, they didn't do it yet. They yeah, are they're primed, primed so. for 2021. I mean, for me, I think it's it's HBO Max, dude. I mean, what a debut! Um, having we didn't really understand the idea of wait, well, HBO makes shows already, so are those shows going to be on there? Yes, they are. Are they also going to make just content for this HBO Max? Yes, they did. Um, I think HBO Max is my pick, and I'm curious what you guys think. What was on there? No, I, you guys would pick it for. Um, I think Chernobyl came out at the end of last year, so not that, but um, I don't know. I'd probably have to look it up to, to get everything. Um, Lovecraft Country, His Dark Materials. 
I know there's I know there's other shows on there. There was that like three days, whatever, three days in hell with Jude Law, whatever the fuck that was. I stopped watching it. Yeah, um, but they had a, a ton of original content you know, and movies. How to with John Wilson. Um, Love that. It's nominated in two two categories. All right, so guys, I think this pick is easy, and I think the pick is Netflix. Um, okay. Netflix drug us through the pandemic, and we talked about right. the first half of the year when people were really terrified. They were being really responsible. They were staying at home, and we had so many things to watch, mostly on Netflix. Okay, you had Tiger King on Netflix, which might have been bad, but everybody on Earth watched it. You mm-hmm. had The Social Dilemma, which we nominated. I believe you had Cheer on there as well. Cheer, yep. Cheer was on there. Um, you had Big Mouth was on there. You had The Queen's Gambit. You had Dark. You had Ozark. You have all kinds of things that were on Netflix. We had um, The Five Bloods, which we put up for our movie of the year, was on Netflix. I'm saying that this is quantity over quality, maybe even, but there was definitely a lot of quality as well when it came to yeah. Netflix. My problem with Netflix is that they ended the year kind of weak where they started the year so strong. And so I think for the first seven to eight months, this would have been an easy pick as Netflix. I just think that we have this recency bias of like Mandalorian, his dark material kind of taking over television in recent months. I think Netflix is the easy pick. It just isn't the most exciting pick. Well, it's funny because April, when we were like in full lockdown mode, seems like it was two years ago. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to remember that. So, so thank you to Eric for bringing us uh, some perspective in pieces where we would definitely forget that. So the I mean, way, you know, Eric, yeah, Eric sells it in the way that it should be sold in that it's maybe, I don't know, whether or not you think Tiger King was quality or like a negative show, like on society, like he said, everyone tuned into it. I definitely am leaning towards Netflix as being the best streaming service of the year. Although HBO ended on a higher level, I think, mm-hmm. but I think overall Netflix's viewership was much more robust uh, throughout the entirety of 2020. I just think HBO missed too. Like, didn't they put Westworld out this year? Yeah. And that was trash. Yeah, we didn't watch it. We canceled that. So it was awesome. um, all right. When you when you when you spell it out, you're absolutely right. Netflix yeah. put out more important pieces for us to watch. Um, they carried us through a tough time. I think that they have a very uphill battle next year with HBO getting all of Warner Brothers slate for free, and Disney Plus literally taking Star Wars and Marvel and putting it on, onto a service. Um, but for now, Netflix remains king. All right. Yeah, and that would be uh, lat- two years ago. Netflix won. Netflix. Netflix won last year was HBO. This year we're going with Netflix again. So okay, someone else is gonna have to break that up. But I do think Netflix deserved it. They did the most in the toughest times, and they didn't. They had so many misses, but they always have so many misses because they have so many things. Yes. So I, I think it's got to be Netflix. Beautiful. All right. Uh, we're moving on to some sports now. Okay. Okay. So some sports stuff, mostly local. Well, it is local sports. Um, team of the year. All right. Our choices are um, Man, uh, Minnesota United FC, the Loons, uh, the Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota Vikings, 
the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Minnesota Wild, and the Minnesota Lynx. Now, remember, we have to only think of what they did in 2020. So there's multiple months of no sports. Um, so who helped us out the most and brought us the most joy in 2020? Now, I think we can eliminate some teams from this right away. Um, the Timberwolves were terrible and hardly played. No, no yep. joy. There's no joy there. We got to get rid of them. Um, the Lynx were like a low playoff seed and didn't do, make any noise. They hardly played any games in 2020. It can't be them. I'm sorry, but they got to win the whole thing to even compete. That sucks, but that's the case. The Wild, I don't even know how many games they played, maybe 20, and they were all bad, I'm pretty sure. Um, they didn't. <laughs> they got knocked out of the playoffs right away. Uh, they suck. They're not in it. Um, okay. The Vikings, uh, they won a playoff game at the Saints. Um, yes. Losing record this year. They got killed by the 49ers in the playoffs in their second game. Um, I think they're going to be a tough sell uh, for for winning this year, but I'm not going to eliminate them. Okay. And then uh, you have the Minnesota Twins, um, who lost a record 18th straight um, playoff game. But they were good all year long. They won the, the division yet again. Uh, and then finally, MN. Uh, UFC, Minnesota United, they went to the Western Conference Finals before losing in heartbreaking fashion to Seattle. So I think those are kind of the three teams to pick from. Uh, who wants to start us out on where they think this should go? I mean, I think we, you know, we, we talked about like deep playoff runs, and I think that it's easily got to be Minnesota United FC. If we're going to give like the COVID balance to uh, other teams, um, you know, we, we had a very surprise performance by Minnesota United. So I'm totally in on them as the team of the year. I think I would go with them as well. Um, I mean, the twins were a lot of fun. I, this is the first year I've paid a lot of attention to Minnesota United, and it was really fun. Like, I think that they are really making a huge statement. And, you know, the theme of our awards are always who had the best year, and that has to be relative for them. Did, did the most people in Minnesota watch them? No, most people watch the Vikings, but the Vikings didn't fucking make the playoffs this year. So for me, I think that the team of the year should be United as well. Damn, I like that. That was a great argument. You sold me. Yeah, very good. You sold me there. Um, I wasn't going to pick them, but I'm going to pick them now. I agree. Who had the best year? Minnesota United did. Um, they went from something that no one cared about or a small group of people did to something that we realized could be a good time. So I'm going to go with them as well. Um, we got all hooked on them in the playoffs, which was even a surprise to me. It was a lot of fun watching them go deeper than anyone thought they could. So... Yeah, I think that's it. Sweet. Bam. Boom. All right. Is that uh, is that three for three consensus? It's kind of weird. Well, well we're going to have to come to a consensus. It's just going to happen. Okay. Let's move on to uh, Minnesota Athlete of the Year. All right. So uh, our picks this year, um, coming from the Minnesota Wild, Kevin Fiala, uh, really transformed himself into a superstar. Um, kind of turned himself into one of the premier uh, wings in the NHL. 
it was really fun to watch him kind of take that leap. The guy turned into a point a game uh, player for the Wild. Nelson Cruz, the ancient slugger for the Twins, um, was kind of in the MVP discussion all year long, even though he was over 40 years old. Uh, Kenta Maeda, probably the most um, underrated Minnesota athlete. He finished in the top three of the AL Cy Young this year after coming over in a trade for Brewster Gratterall, for, uh, who was a big prospect. People really kind of panned the trade, but it turned out great for the Twins. Emmanuel Reynoso, um, the star player of the Loons and an absolute superstar in their run in the playoffs. The only problem with him is he got COVID and he came here in the middle of the year. He only played in 15 games, I believe. Um, it's only a yeah. fraction of the games they played. Superstar running back Delvin Cook of the um, Minnesota Vikings. He leads the league in rushing touchdowns. He's second in the league in rushing yards. And then rookie sensation Justin Jefferson, who is – um, smashing rookie records and has an opportunity to break some really big ones uh, come week 17. Where do you guys want to start this up? I think uh, we can eliminate a few of the guys, you know, as we've done with other teams. Kevin Fiala, I think, was a, a, a cool story, but the Wild didn't really do anything. Uh, Nelson Cruz is like 42 years old and still crushing it, which is awesome. Uh, Kenta Maeda Again, uh, a good season, but, you know, they didn't make a lot of noise. Uh, the Twins didn't in the postseason. Um, Manuel Reynoso was on another, like, existential plane in the MLS playoffs. He had the most assists ever in an MLS, uh, you know, playoff year. And he only played in, like, three matches, which is unbelievable. Um, I think Dalvin Cook is kind of like honorable mention because the Vikings weren't very good. Uh, but I think my my pick is Justin Jefferson. Um, despite the fact that the Vikings record hasn't been that good, um, Justin Jefferson has been like the lone bright spot slash talking point for the entire team. Um, I, to, to be a rookie receiver in the NFL and come in and, and break – Randy Moss receiving records, I think just kind of explains itself uh, right there. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys to see what you think. Well, I, I just have to concur, man. I mean, you know, did he have the biggest impact in any, in any sport? No, but he had a huge impact on the fan bases. Um, you know, even in a lost season where we're not going to make the playoffs, that's something that we can take away and be really, really excited about. Like, he will be a Viking next year. He will be fucking awesome next year. We can get to watch him for years to come. And, you know, this is his arrival party. I think that for for me, Justin Jefferson deserves Athlete of the Year. Love Jefferson. Cook deserves it over him, though. Cook is second in the league in rushing. Jefferson is seventh in the league in receiving. Cook is first in rushing touchdowns in the league. Jefferson is in the top 25. He's He has half the the touchdown receptions that even Adam Thiel and his own teammate has. Um, Jefferson has been a great story, but Cook has been our best player. Cook got the most votes for the uh, NFC for the Pro Bowl. Both of them were Pro Bowlers. There are only two Pro Bowlers. Um, but Cook is tearing up a league that is hard to tear up, especially from a position um, like running back. Jefferson's got a super great career ahead of him. 
but Cook's stats are really something else. With a 100-yard day, he'll be over 1,700 yards. Um, he leads the whole league in touchdowns um, from running back position. He's completely dominated games, and I think sometimes it's hard because running back is is not quite as sexy of a position um, as wide receiver, but I think Dalvin Cook definitely is the better player just for this year. I disagree from like a, a weighted performance perspective. I think Dalvin Cook's numbers are expected. I think Justin Jefferson's numbers were not only a pleasant surprise, but above and beyond what anybody thought that we could do. I mean, I mean Eric, you, you talked about you were more excited for uh, not Jeff Gladney, who's the other guy, who's the other corner. Yeah, like you were more excited to see him play. Yeah, Dantzler. You were more excited for Dantzler than you were for Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson had nothing in week one. And so what he's done in basically 14 weeks of performance should be weighted way more heavily about what Dalvin Cook did and was expected to do versus what just Justin Jefferson was able to pull off in a no training camp, not getting to work with Kirk Cousins, basically shut out of the offense in week one and then came onto the scene has, and has been absolutely dominant, even though the scouting report has been out on what his, you know, uh, good features and bad features are, is still able to produce at a high level. And yeah, Adam Thielen takes some of the touchdowns, but Justin Jefferson is like, a, a is a second fiddle, but also not really like he's taken over games when he's a rookie. So I think that has to be taken into far greater consideration than yeah. what Dalvin Cook has done in his sixth season, fifth season. It's only his fourth season. He's missed a fourth season. Sorry, injury. He is. It's it's not who's the more surprising player. It's who's the better player. Cook. No, not necessarily though. I mean, the biggest surprise. Who had the best? Who had the best year? Who had the best year, and Cook had an average year, and Justin Jefferson had an arrival year. He led the NFC in in Pro Bowl votes. He leads the NFC in rushing. He leads the NFL in touchdowns. That's not an average year. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the Pro Bowl votes, like they were trying to get uh, Yannick and Gakwe into the Pro Bowl by fan votes just so that they could screw over the Vikings. I don't think Pro Bowl votes mean a whole lot. Okay, but I'm just saying, he leads the entire NFL in touchdowns. How is that an average year? He's second in the, in the entire NFL in rushing yards. He has 300 more rushing yards than Jefferson has receiving yards. Jefferson is 19th in receptions. Jefferson is 7th in receiving yards, and he's only in the top 25 of touchdowns. Delvin Cook is top five in every running back. Okay, so let's let's go back to one thing. Would you say, would you trade Dalvin Cook for anybody in the NFL or any other running back in the NFL? Sure, because he's he's older. Okay, would you trade Justin Jefferson for any other receiver in the NFL? I mean, Justin Jefferson is more about potential than anything. I, I don't know. Answer the question. I would not do that, but that's also because receivers are more valuable than running backs. But that doesn't mean who had a better year? Uh, Delvin Cook. He signed a four-year deal. Did Justin Jefferson sign a four-year deal? No, Delvin. I, it's it's still Justin Jefferson, in my opinion. I I think do we Dalvin do Cook was expected to put these numbers up, and Justin Jefferson, everything that he's done has exceeded everyone's expectations by tenfold. Yeah, who am I more excited about, Cook or Jefferson? Jefferson. Who's a better player in this year, Cook? Do you have to? Does it have to come down to me? Yeah, Justin Jefferson wins. <laughs> he has half the touchdowns of his own teammate. 
Yeah, and why isn't Thielen on there then? Because it's not exciting. It's expected. So, Justin Jefferson is on there because he had the best year. So next year we should put um, Anthony Edwards up for it, even if Towns is the best player because he's more exciting. Oh no! Well, I don't what? think we'll, we'll see. Well, let's see what Edwards does. Cook is Towns. Edwards is, is Jefferson, and it's really exciting because we we can see that there's a superstar coming. But in reality, Jefferson could win this award five of the next seven years if he gets to where he should be. But Cook is a better player right now. It's not even close. Cook dominates his position more than Jefferson does. Jefferson is not as good as Devonta Adams. Jefferson is not as good as Tyreek Hill. Jefferson is a some of the top guys in the game where Cook is the top guy in the game. But again, I'm I'm basing it on a weighting metric. Like it's weighted against rookie expect. All right, let's move on. Rookie expectations versus performance. We're good. Potential over over performance. We get it. All right. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to patronize us like that, Eric. Just because you think you're right doesn't mean you get to just like hey, you're- leave your little snide comment at the end because you're the host of the show. <laughs> Cook was supposed to be good, and he was great. Jefferson wasn't supposed to be good, and he was really good. That's perfect. That's how we vote, baby. Thank you. Thank you. You finally agreed with us. All right. Beer of the year, guys. We're moving on to beer of the year. And uh, there's a lot of great picks here. Um, We're going to start with uh, the one that I'm drinking right now, actually. Satsuma from Fair State. It's like an orange kettle sour. It tastes like orange juice. It was incredible. Party Forward by Fair State. Another one of their amazing beers. Um, No Save Point by Modest. This was... Um, in collaboration with uh, Run the Jewels, which was a really exciting release. Run the Jewels did this with like 14 breweries around the country. Um, Future Pixels by Modest as well. Um, one of our very favorites, Straight Hash Homie from Lupulin over in Big Lake. Um, they do this every year. This was, I think, the second or third iteration of this one. And then Ken Burns presents another great release from uh, past winner of Brewery of the Year. Um, Black Stack. So where are you guys headed with this one? Oh, these are good beers. I mean, I think that if I if I were to narrow it down right now, it'd be to Satsuma from Fair State, Future Pixels from Modest, and Straight Hash Homie from Lupulin. And I'll add this, something we should keep in mind. Just because a beer is is it, it wasn't like, you know, released this year for the first time or it wasn't brand new. They brew these beers every year and they change them a little bit. And you can totally have an exceptional batch or version of a beer that's been out before. And I think that's what we got with Straight Hash Homie. Um, I loved it this year. The past years, it was so heavy and oily. This year, it was like more balanced. That's probably my pick from Lupulin. Um, my backup is Setsuma. Because, I mean, how many fucking fruited sours and IPAs did we drink this year? A million. And that was the one, besides Ken Burns, which was similar, stood out as a super flavorful, still drinkable beer. I'm going to leave those two out there for you guys and see if, if you guys can consent around them. I mean, loved all these beers. I literally made the trek in the snow today to go to Fair State to buy my pick, Satsuma, so I could drink it during this episode because it is easily my pick of the year. It's my favorite fruit sour kettle sour i've ever had mm-hmm. and i know that a lot of times beers when they taste 
not like a like an IPA. People just want to discredit them, and that we should only pick old style beers and IPAs every time. But this mm-hmm. was the most enjoyable beer I had. Satsuma is easily my pick from Fairsight. Every once in a while, you have like it's it's hard to quantify. Every once in a while, you have these beers where where you there's these styles with all these flavors and and at some point it kind of blends together a little bit, right? But then you take a sip of a beer that I had bought for myself and didn't even intend for anyone to have. And then I was like, I I came to the pod. This is pre-lockdown or pre-second lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got Satsuma from Fair State. And Eric was like, I just had that. It's incredible. Jimbo's like, I never had it. I was like, me neither. I was like, well, let's crack it. Let's, Let's do it for the pod. And we all, like Jimbo and I both drank it and we were like, oh my God. Like it, it was something to behold. It was something that like you'd never tasted before, never had that like that flavor profile. It was like, it's like eating a, a, your first like Wagyu steak in a way where, where I've never had anything that tastes like this. And so for me, it's Satsuma. And I know we're, we're wholly biased on Fair State, but they put out a ton of good shit. Mm-hmm. Like all the time. And so I think for me, beer of the year has to be Satsuma because it was like eye opening and like mouth watering really good. And like the more you guys talk about it, it makes me want to drive up to Northeast just to get another crowler of it. I love it. I would be so happy with it. Um, one of the, I mean, how many beers do we try? We try, I probably try five different new beers a week minimum. Um, that's a lot of new beers every year. And when they stand out, they hit hard, and this one was, a, a you know, a bit of a revelation, man. I'm good with Satsuma. Fair State deserves it. Hell yeah. I think it's an easy pick. Last year's pick was Fair State's clouding of consciousness, so back-to-back years, Fair State winning beer of the year. That's beautiful. They deserve it. All right, uh, moving on. Brewery of the year. Um, we're down to Lupulin in Big Lake. We're at Fair State again, who is a past winner. Um, they won last year, 2019 Fair State won. Um, we have uh, Modest, the 2017 first ever winner. Um, we have Junkyard uh, from Moorhead. We have Falling Knife, uh, which is kind of new to this. They're kind of the, the new ones to kick down the door and get into this conversation. And then St. Paul's Barrel Theory. Where are you guys leaning uh, with Brewery of the Year? Okay. God, we're spoiled. I mean, we have such amazing options. So much so. First year that Blackstack hasn't made the noms, I think that's notable. Um, not that they don't deserve it, but, uh, you know, this, is, this isn't – and Dangerous Man isn't nominated. So, you know, this just shows this is not necessarily an award of best brewery, right? This is who had the best year, who, who knocked down the door. Um, you know, in that regard, you might look to give it to Falling Knife, who, like, didn't just show up. They fucking stormed in and everybody's talking about their, their beers. Um, they've done amazing things, but are they, have I tried anything besides hazy IPAs from them? No. Um, I don't think that they have quite enough different styles that they've nailed yet. Um, I think that falling knife is what Lupulin was two years ago. And Lupulin has maintained. They have, started to get this system going where they're releasing every week or every two weeks with a new exciting beer. 
in multiple styles. Maybe it's a peanut butter porter. Maybe it's a, you know, a hazy beer. Maybe it's a fruited like sour. Um, they do a ton of different stuff super, super well. And I think after like three really solid years, they've proven that they belong. And I would think that this year they killed absolutely everything. And I think they're my pick for brewery of the year. I don't disagree with anything that you said at all. And going back to what you said about the beer of the year and that they have these re-releases of sort of the same style, but a refined recipe, mm -hmm. if you will. And for me, Sophistry right. from Lupulin fucking slaps every single time. And I feel like it's gotten better every iteration that we've tried. Yeah. And like you said, everything that comes out from Lupulin, if I see it in the beer case, like I'm looking for that leaf, that little golden leaf with the black lines in the middle. Yeah. And if I see it in a, and if it's something that I haven't had, I know I'm going to grab it and it's going to be great. Um, and not only that, they don't have the stupid, like, surly prices for some of their high-end stuff. Um, so that that always plays in the back of my mind when I see a four-pack of Tall Boys from Lupulin for $13.99. Immediately gravitate mm -hmm. towards that. And I think Lupulin is absolutely deserving of Brewery of the Year. Can I add one more thing before Eric just tosses everything we've done so far in a blender and has his own strong case, I'm sure, but... In a year where we don't, we're not really counting the taproom experience because for very much of the year we didn't go and hang out in taprooms. This is a great chance for Lupulin to win. Um, they're in Big Lake. They're not close. If you drive by them on, like you know, the county road, Highway Ten, not, a, not yeah. a particularly impressive looking building. It's like on the corner of a strip mall. Um, so they're not probably going to win by having the most exciting cosmopolitan fucking hangout taproom. This is about the beer and the releases this year. And so for me, I think that gives Lupulin another edge. Let me just real quick interject before Eric goes. Eric's going to make the argument that uh, why did we pick Falling Knife? Because Falling Knife is Justin Jefferson and Lupulin is Dalvin Cook. <laughs> That's coming. All right, Eric, you're up. All right. So I like Lupulin a lot and I really liked their four pack of the um, truffle beers. Um, I thought that was one yes. of the most exciting releases of the whole entire year. Um, in the past, I kind of thought that it was a lot of very similar IPAs, kind of like blackjack style. Like they, they nailed their IPAs and they keep pushing those out. And that's not a problem. I mean, any brewery would love to have that. But I felt like there wasn't always enough um, different things coming out for Lupulin. So I'm not saying that Lupulin, it wouldn't be a great pick. But 2020 was one of the craziest years ever. And the to me... There were two ma major stories of 2020. One of them was COVID and one of them was um, social justice and, you know, civil unrest. There was no theory that handled these two things better than Modest. Modest was incredible at distributing beer. Um, every liquor store is full of incredible Modest beer. They have 20 beers on tap at all times and all kinds of exciting things. They collaborated with smaller breweries they helped breweries that burned to the ground. They um, collaborate with people big and small to make every single style of beer. And they literally gave free beer to protesters. They were a center for collecting food to give to people and businesses that were displaced 
during the riots that happened in Minneapolis. One of our friends of the pod would definitely pick Modest, and that would be Nerdy, who housed himself and his team out of Modest while they were doing the Lord's work during um, the protests that were happening over the summer. I just don't know how Modest couldn't get it after this year. This was an incredible year by them, and I think sometimes Modest is like LeBron James of Minneapolis beer. We could give them the MVP award every single year, and we choose not to because it's not exciting, and we always look for the next D. Rose or Russell Westbrook or someone who had a great standout year, but in reality, it's LeBron James. They could do it every single year. They did more for their community. They did more for Minneapolis. They did more for um, the major events of 2020 than anybody else did. Everyone on this list is an incredible incredible brewery deserving of recognition. My pick would be Modest. I get that. And man, did you state a nice case? I knew you would. I was, and you did not disappoint. Um, and all those things are so true. I, I think beer wise, I had a couple beers from Modest that I were surprised wasn't as, as up to their standards. Um, uh, but overall, obviously they make incredible beer. Um, I still think Lupulin released a lot of beer, man. You can, you can't say that they didn't have a ton of stuff and, you know, do we want to spread the wealth around a little bit? I do. And you know, if you're going to give it to one brewery all the time for me, maybe that's even fair state. It's, it's between fair state and modest every year. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't necessarily agree hands down that modest is the LeBron. I think we'd have to argue over that. Um, and so for me, I still want to stick with Lupulin. I appreciate Everything Modest did this year for social justice, they were incredibly important. We don't have a social justice award. Maybe we'll add that next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I, in With looking at the awards, I try and keep it as simple as possible. Eric makes very compelling arguments for all of the things outside of brewing beer that Modest did. But I think those are soul and separate from and and this is not to say we don't support modest in all of the things that they did, because we absolutely do. But when we're just looking at like from a beer brewing perspective, who had the best year, I think it's Lupulin. Um, if you were going to look at the totality of a brewery and all of the community impacts that we have, I mean, you'd have to start talking about Fulton because uh, a significant portion of their proceeds go uh, right back into the community and their beer sucks. <laughs> but I mean, do we need, do we need to consider them because of uh, all of the uh, local I, programs that I, they support? I, That's possible. I think you're being unfair to modest here. No, no, no. I, I no, I agree. I think you're, I think you're, I, I agree. I, I, I'm, I was exaggerating to make a point. Um, I was, I, I was personally only looking at it from the, what did they brew and how much did I consistently enjoy it? Not necessarily from the, the status or the, the, the place of who had the biggest impact on the community overall. And Eric, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. All I'm saying is I was looking at it from how many beers did they make and how much did I enjoy most of them? And that's where I came to Lupulin, not because of mm -hmm. the fact that they were handing out water because they were in a Minneapolis location that was conducive to where the riots were. Maybe Lupulin would have done that had they been in a different location, but I don't think we should punish them because they're located in Big Lake. 
That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. So what is it? We go with Lupulin? I know you're a little bitter here. And Eric, I, I, I appreciate you're being a big man right now. You're really letting things slide. <laughs> Dude, All it's right. got to be Lupulin. Hey, they had a huge year. They have arrived as like a, a place that you know is going to do different stuff, consistent, great quality, good prices. I think it's Lupulin. Um, I think that they had a more standout year than Modest did, it, it, especially when you consider the beer, just the beer. All right, moving on. Restaurant of the year. We have Nord East's Olive and Lamb, newcomers to the game. We have uh, staple in the community, Market Barbecue. We have Cuviet, uh, one of the best takeout spots. Uh, we have Minneapolis's Baluto, to the game as well. We have Moochie's Pizza, and we have our high-end option of Travail. Where are you guys starting on this one? Well, first, uh, since I'm probably the lone man out in terms of Nordeast restaurants and getting out, um, Caveat has always been... Uh, just incredible like they're they're uh i don't are they pot stickers they're, or whatever egg rolls are just crazy, crazy oh good. my god just unbelievably good um everything i've ever had from caveat has been top notch uh, but i'm gonna go ahead and defer to you guys uh on on these decisions okay. for restaurants of the year um you know in past years i feel like this category has been easier there's been a brand new, big, exciting chef come into Northeast and open a restaurant that everybody in the whole state and maybe the country sometimes is super excited about. Past winners are Young Joni, um, Christina wins High High. You know, these were these were easy picks. Um, this year, there wasn't a lot of restaurants open. Um, uh, there was a lot of restaurants closed, in fact. So, if, if you know, we like to stick in Northeast. And so I'd like to narrow it down a little bit. And look at Olive and Lamb, which opened up right by Stanley's. They do like the super fresh, amazing, affordable Middle Eastern food. Um, and then Market Barbecue, who's they they moved locations and became very relevant here. I mean, this is a place that does takeout so fucking well, nonstop. You pull up, they brought it out to you. I, I get it multiple times. You know, I get it maybe every other month. Um, family owned spot. When it's open and inside, it's like a really homey, cool environment in there with the bar and like the big booths. It's old school. For me, I think my pick is Market Barbecue. Um, the owner is great, really supportive guy of the, the community. So that's that's what I'm thinking. Eric, where are you at? Travail is the, the highest quality restaurant on here. I had Travail yeah. a few times this year. Their takeout stuff was really cool. If it was just best restaurant, I'd probably say it's Travail. We're the Nordies podcast. We are mad at the people. Not the type of restaurant that we would pick for our restaurant of the year. So real recognize real. We want to give credit to Travail for always doing some of the coolest stuff. Um, but I think Market Barbecue would get my pick as well. They have really great barbecue. They have all kinds of cool options. I had a Cuban sandwich. I had the turkey burger. I've had a whole bunch of stuff from there this year. Um, awesome takeout. I'm going market, market barbecue, keeping it Northeast, keeping it Northeast. That's, that's a beautiful thing, man. All right. That's it. Let's move on to actor of the year. All right. So guys, actor and actress of the year were incredibly difficult this year. Um, I don't know why, um, maybe this is how people feel when they're doing the only two awards bigger than us. Um, but we went for actor of the year. We started out with, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and, 
I think it's cool that he's getting some of this um, for doing Borat 2. Um, I thought that Borat 2 was a lot less abrasive than Borat 1 or Bruno or any of his other things. I thought it felt like the message was that one of love. It was one of, you know, it was positive. It was awkward and uncomfortable, but he obviously has matured the messages he's trying to get out as well. And so I love to see uh, Sasha Baron Cohen getting that love here as well. Um, a breakout star, John David Washington, son of Denzel Washington, star of Tenet, um, one of the next big things, uh, hopefully, in acting. Um, Adam Sandler, uh, which seems like a crazy pick. I thought he was only going to be up for Nickelodeon Awards, um, but <laughs> he was in Uncut Gems and is uh, not only the comedic actor um, that we know, but uh, also has taken more serious roles. Uh, has been very intriguing. Um, Robert Pattinson, part of the Patanaissance we've been talking about over the last year. Um, he was in Tenet. He is going to be the Batman. He is here to stay, and I think will be one of the biggest actors of the next decade. Um, Pedro Pascal was in Wonder Woman, um, was in Mandalorian as the main character as well. And then, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, who was in multiple movies this year. Um, and obviously lost a difficult battle to cancer um, that people didn't even understand or even know that he was fighting. Just another reason that 2020 was such a difficult year. So where would you guys like to start with actor of the year? All right. This is, this is so tough, isn't it? I feel like we're doing actress next. I think that one's going to be easier, but actor of the year is very, very difficult. Um, part of me wants to give it to Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, having been, he was in the trial of the Chicago seven Kind of a really standout, really fun and interesting role. Uh, smaller role, supporting, but really, really good. Um, I loved Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Like, love that movie. He was so, so good. Uh, I could see giving it to Chadwick Boseman. Um, you know, I, his big, big movies didn't come out this year, but he had he had a lot. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I need help, guys. Ryan, what do you think? Well, I mean, if you want to look at, I mean, Pedro Pascal was in one of the biggest movie releases, although we panned it. Yep. Um, but his, you know, his performance was fine. And then he's in one of the arguably biggest and best TV shows of the year, if we're going to talk about Mandalorian. Although he's just kind of a voice actor for the most part. Right. So you, you got to kind of like knock that down a peg. Uh, the Patanasans continues in full fervor and we're all here for it. But other than Tenet, what was he really in? And again, he was a supporting role there. He was in Devil All the Time. Yeah, he was Devil really, really, really good in Devil All the Time. Also, that, that was a Dang super it. short role, too. Um, yeah, this is this is a very difficult uh category to pick so eric what are your thoughts um right now i'm leaning towards um pattinson or chadwick would be my two picks okay uh, I, I don't know that i've seen anything that chadwick did this year like i didn't see that ma rainey's black bottom um have i seen anything else that he's done this year um well first up john david washington was only in um Tenet this year. Okay. This really I think we can probably take him out. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad he's going to be a part of our lives. Chandler was mm -hmm. only on Cut Gems. Sasha Baron Cohen was only in Borat. 
Wait, Adam Sandler wasn't in that uh, crappy Halloween? Hubie Halloween? He was in like five movies this year. <laughs> yeah, I meant of movies that wouldn't disqualify him. Yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I don't think Pascal has done enough. I think it's between Chadwick and Pattinson. Um, Why are you discounting Sasha Baron Cohen? He was just in, in Borat. I mean, And the trial of Chicago 7. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty big year for him too. Uh, okay, for me, it's now down to Pattinson and Sasha Baron Cohen. I would agree. I okay. would agree that those are the two best. Um, I mean, other. I mean, yeah, uh, Chadwick was in the Five Bloods, but I don't think anything else. I don't think anything Marvel related came out this year. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that movie, although he was, you know, a supporting role in it and didn't have much to do. Um. All right, I'm just going to make probably, my pick. This is, our, this is our very our most difficult category. For I, sure. Yes, I think it's Sasha Baron Cohen. That's who I think deserves it. He was really, really interesting in, in that Chicago trial movie, and he's kind of arrived as like a real actor to me. Um, and, and he was in that show. Uh, was brilliant. He was in that show, the Iranian show um, about. Uh, okay, I didn't watch that. I tried. It was kind of boring, but yes, another example of him being yeah. a very real and actual actor. I can be per- I can be dissuaded or persuaded, boys. What do you guys think? Come on, I, I'm with the Sasha Baron Cohen man. I mean, yeah, he rebooted Borat, but he took on some like very difficult and serious roles, like you said, with the Spy, and then mm-hmm. with the Trial of Chicago Seven. I mean, we're talking about like the best year. I think he has. I would love to give give it to Pattinson, but I think it's Sasha Baron Cohen. We'll cool. give it to Pattinson next year. Yeah, it'll probably be next year. All right, Sasha Baron Cohen it is. Okay, cool. Good on him. All right, guys, we're moving on to Actress of the Year. Zendaya is our first choice. Um, she was in, um, what's it called, Euphoria? Euphoria. Um, what else do we have Zendaya in? Spider-Man? Well, she was in Spider-Man, although that came out, I think, last year, right? Yeah, that came out last year. Okay. Um, not a sure. not a lot of people worked a lot, so you kind of have to go off a small sample size for this. Um, we have her in just Euphoria this year. Anya okay. Joy from uh, Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. We have she Gal- in a couple movies. We have Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. We have uh, Daphne Keene, the fifteen year old superstar from. Uh, is Dark Materials. Uh, we have Scarlett Johansson, who was in Baltimore. Marriage Story, I think, came out this year, which she was phenomenal in, but yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy was in um, The New Mutants. Uh, yeah. Are the Young Men, Emma, and uh, Queen's Gambit. So she was, she worked a lot and she was really, really great in Emma, although I haven't seen it, but she was phenomenal in it. Um, that's my pick. I think, I think that she has arrived as somebody that like everybody's going to want to get for like their, if they have a young leading role in a serious movie where they need like some heavy lifting acting, her phone will be ringing. Um, I mean, it's either that or Zendaya, although Anya Taylor-Joy just worked a lot more and delivered multiple pieces. We also have Julia Garner from... Ozark as well. Ozark, right. And she's fantastic. 
I mean, she's so good. But yeah, for me, it comes down to between Zendaya and Anya Taylor Joy. Um, love Daphne Keene. Haven't really seen her in quite enough yet. I mean, she's so good in everything, but she's a child actress. Let's see what she can do as she gets a little older. But what do you guys think? Anya Taylor Joy, it is. Yeah, agreed. Okay. All right, good. I she mean, was so fucking good in Queen's Gambit. Yeah, agreed. Beautiful. That was a quicker one. All right, guys, we're moving on to our uh, three TV show topics. We're starting out with TV show of the year, documentary, and docuseries. Um, some great choices. We have uh, from Netflix, Cheer, show about a uh, small college dominating the world of competitive cheerleading. We have uh, HBO Max's McMillions about people scamming the um, Monopoly game at McDonald's. We have How To with Jeff Wilson. I don't know how to describe that show from HBO Max. Um, a weird show that describes how to do stuff things. And yeah. It's terrible. Uh, the Social Dilemma, a documentary from uh, Netflix about the um, perils of using social media and the things that we don't understand about the control that social media has over us. Uh, Tiger King from Netflix uh, the show about Joe Exotic and his insane life. He's now suing President Trump for not pardoning him. And uh, finally, uh, ESPN's The Last Dance, uh, about the last season of the Michael Jordan Bulls and chronicling his entire career. Where are you guys starting in this one? Uh, for me, this is pretty easy as a massive sports fan. Um and having grown up in Illinois, um, not a Bulls fan, but to get a little peek behind the curtain, you know, if you will, uh, someone like Michael Jordan that has, is a very private person, if you will, as, as much as he can be as a, a global phenomenon, um, you got to hear some of the insight between him and Phil and Scottie Pippen and BJ Armstrong and Bill Wennington and all of the guys from the nineties bulls teams that uh, chimed in on things that were going on behind the scenes between him and Reinsdorf and all of that stuff. I thought the last dance was done phenomenally well. Um, I do like some of the, I do like some of the way like, like ESPN does their like 30 for 30 document or uh, documentaries and things like that. So I think this was taken to the next level because it was Michael Jordan. Um, watching Michael Jordan like smoke cigars and drink scotch during an interview was like, <laughs> just kind of surreal. Um, but I definitely have to say runner up is for sure Tiger King. And it's a close second. Like, I think it's a really close second. It And in the sense of Tiger King is a group of deplorable human beings uh, grouped together to try and depict them in a positive nature. Like all of the, like who was the dude with the, that tried to look like Brett Michaels. Like that guy sucked the doc, uh, whoever the doc was doc. like that guy sucked. Uh, Hey, all you cats and kittens, like the murderer husband, like she sucked. Like er everything about that documentary was like depressing and sad and, and horrible and uh, who killed who and all that stuff. Yeah. But I think, if you're looking at it from that lens, uh, the last dance was the better of the two. All right. So I have to agree with you on damn near every point. Um, 
you know, these, we want to look at the ones that really like captivated the nation when they needed to. So for me, that was Tiger King in the last dance and um, Tiger King was fun. You know, is there any point to ever go rewatch that shit show? Probably not. No. Um, for me, the last dance was probably the best sports documentary material I've ever seen. Um, truly long form storytelling on, on the bulls was amazing and everybody watched it as well. Even people that weren't that into sports really got into this. For me, it's the last dance, uh, an amazing, amazing piece of, of filmmaking. This one was one of the easiest topics of the whole day. Last dance is the best documentary I've ever seen in my entire life. Tiger King was bad. It was just interesting. I would say Soul of Dilemma would be my second pick um, because it was just so well done, but it was just one movie instead of a series. Um, nothing's Close, Last Dance uh, easily wins this award. One of the best documentaries of all time. Also uh, gets the award for like the most memeable thing I think we've done, which was like the, and I took that personally. God, uh, is that a versatile meme template? Yeah. I love that meme template. All right, guys, moving on to our final two topics of the 2020 Nordies. TV show of the year, comedy. All right, this was loaded this year. Um, we have Netflix's season four of Big Mouth um, adding even more star power to probably the most star-studded comedy on television. Again, nominated How To with John Wilson from HBO Max. Um, Pen15, I believe, is from Hulu, right? Yes. Uh, the Good Place from NBC. Yeah. Final season. Uh, Dave from FX and What We Do in the Shadows from FX. Uh, Ryan, where are you going with this one? I mean, my of that list, my favorite two are What We Do in the Shadows and Dave. And I loved What We Do in the Shadows. I thought some of the creative choices that they made were unbelievable. I think we all love Jackie Daytona not only as a character, but just as a, like a real life, <laughs> like human being, like if that guy were to exist, that's your, that's like your best friend. Um, but I don't think as much as I loved what we do in the shadows, I don't think it even comes close to Dave. I think Dave was a masterpiece beyond masterpieces of a comedy, realistic, look at life as an up-and-coming rapper but then also like uh just uh mental health mm -hmm. like it, it touched on so many different aspects it was like atlanta but funnier yeah. um in a great way and that's not a knock on atlanta this is a that's a that's an uplifting comment towards dave i thought it was so original so well done so well paced the episodes never felt forced. There weren't any filler, like weirdo episodes, like you know you have with Atlanta, where you're just like, "What does this have to do with the story?" Um, everything kind of flowed well. I love Dave. It's a it's an easy pick for me. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think that it's cool that the Good Place made it. Good for them. It's a great show. Um, had a good solid last season. Pen Fifteen is kind of up and coming. I'm so excited to see what these two female comedians do. Next, Big Mouth, that's Eric's thing. It's really, I mean, it is a fantastic show. I don't watch a lot of animated comedy, but it's great. I loved How To With John Wilson. I get that it's not for everybody. I, I think it was brilliant, but it was so different. I don't know if it can hang. So 
Um, you know, for me, it does also come down to what we do in the shadows. And Dave, I think that what we do in the shadows is a more conventional comedy. Um, you know, silly gags, kind of like bottle episodes. They can co- sort of do whatever they want without major consequences to the storyline going forward. Um, but Dave was special. Dave was different. Um, Dave was like a look at, you know, what, what guys' confidence. Do they, you know, and insecurities and, you know, just... It, it like like Ryan said, it just touched on so many things. Um, Lil Dicky, Dave Bird is a hell of a talented dude. I loved the show. I thought it was as deep as it was funny. And um, for me, it's it's the pick. It and it is criminally slept on by everybody. By the way, this is another not difficult topic. Dave is easily the pick. One of the best shows that we've watched in the past five years. It was hilarious but it also had real depth to it um i was bummed out for an entire week when he uh left the wedding mm-hmm. um it like really was like a, affected me emotionally but it was definitely a comedy um so many incredible moments so many hilarious episodes can't wait for season two dave is the breakout star of 2020 that's a beautiful thing agreed yep. agreed Okay, guys, here we go. The last one, TV show of the year drama. The best show of the year. Our past winners include uh, 2017's Mr. Robot, 2018's miniseries Bodyguard, and uh, 2019's Dark. So two straight winners from Netflix. And pretty pretty highbrow stuff. You know, when we look at that, and I think Chernobyl was right there with it, right? We were really, really, really close to picking Chernobyl. So... Um, you know, you can see here, we tend to go with a little bit more of a serious show, a little bit more highbrow. Um, to me that probably eliminates the boys, although I'm so glad it's on here. Um, for me, Ozark is a great, great show, but is it not always like a B plus, like always a consistently B plus? Um, Ozark at its best is an A minus and at its worst is a B plus. I think it's consistency is what's so great about it. But it yep. is it is not always enjoyable to watch. It okay. is, I mean, let's be serious. Ozark is just a new version of Breaking Bad on Netflix. Yep. Except except slightly worse. But yeah. And Which, so, and then I'll add this. Let's just get this out of the way. Dark was one of the most amazing three seasons of television I've ever seen. But season three was probably the worst out of the three. Um, it probably goes two one three in in my ranking so i don't think Mark deserves it back to back um so that leaves us with queen's gambit mandalorian and his dark materials Is somebody else weigh in what do you guys think well i think if, if if that's your top three i think if you're weighing mandalorian against his dark materials mandalorian is better okay and more groundbreaking and more important and more water coolery than his dark materials. His dark materials can borderline on like kitschy preteen kind of stuff. Like some of the fight scenes are a little bit lackluster and silly. Yeah. Um, whereas Mandalorian is a little bit more PG 13, um, you know, in some instances, maybe bordering on like, eh, that could be considered an R rating just based on what happened. Um, but let's not discount the Queen's Gambit. 
man, that that show was so captivating. I again, it was one of those ones that I if they made chess feel like it went fast, they made chess feel like it went interesting, and they made chess players feel like they were larger than life. And none of those things are true in the real world, right? <laughs> right. I mean, and it did it, it and I think that's commendable in in how well the show did. I wish the boys would have been like put up in a different year as opposed to against the Queen's Gambit and Mandalorian and Dark and Ozark because I think it would easily win uh, because of its creativity and how like ingenious some of the plot points are. But that's also another show that's a little bit silly. Um, it, it's it's more graphic novel-y uh, fun than it is like a great TV show. So for me, it's down to the Queen's Gambit and Mandalorian. Okay. I'm still with you, actually. I'm still with you. Eric, thoughts? Pass it to Eric. Yeah. The Boys is was really fun, but it's not the show of the year. Um, I would say His Dark Materials is a step behind. Um, Ozark was great, but it was so long ago, it's hard for us to, to go with that. I do think they might have had their strongest season um, this last year, so I really like it. I think Bateman is is about as good of a television actor as there is right now. Um, I think, um, to me personally, it comes down to Dark and Mandalorian. Um, Dark, to me, was the most rewarding show I think I've ever watched. Um, But Mandalorian is literally the closest thing we've had to Prime Thrones um, since then. It is Mm -hmm. must-watch television. It is captivating in every single way it is it is the show that has changed television forever um where we're bringing the movie theater to our homes uh in a weekly uh episodic fashion um that we've never seen before the budget of the show the places it can go are unlike any show we've ever seen before i feel like we're watching a revolution of screen happen before our eyes when watching Mandalorian, I understand it's Star Wars. I understand it can be silly. I understand that some of the episodes are just weird and a great way to expand their universe. But to me, Mandalorian is easily the most important and uh, fun and interesting show that has been out in some time. I think Mandalorian is the pick with without anything else even coming close. Okay. I don't think it's quite this black and white, but I do agree Mandalorian is an incredible show. Very, I mean, when we talk about essential, it's the most essential show on here for sure. Um, truly enjoyable to watch. I'm, I'm so fine with this pick. I'm actually thrilled with the pick. Well, then, if, if you want to like, what was the most important movie for Marvel? Right? Was it, uh, you know, stuff from like way back when, or was it Iron Man one? that sort of kicked the tires on a new generation of superheroes and filmmaking and the way that they did things. And I think Mandalorian falls into that category of we're going to look back in seven years. And when we're doing like a star Wars TV rewatch, be like, wow, how good was Mandalorian when it first kicked off? Mm -hmm. And I'm, 100% 100% on board with Mandalorian being the pick. That's beautiful. I love it. 
Yeah, I think that's got to be it. So there, there you guys go. Those are our 2020 Nordy winners, um, which is super exciting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we will uh, look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about our picks, which ones you agreed with, which ones you didn't. Let us know what you think. And we can't wait for next week when we dive into what we can expect in 2021. So thank you guys for listening to the Nordies podcast and the Nordy Awards. It's our fourth year of doing this. It gets better each and every year. Um, hopefully you guys enjoy it as much as we do or even uh, even a fraction of uh, the fun that we have doing this for you guys. So thank you guys. Uh, happy New Year's. And uh, we look forward to coming back in the new year and uh, checking in with you guys and telling you exactly what you should watch, giving you the news every single week, and uh, continuing this awesome and beautiful friendship.